WBUR Podcast, Boston. The universe has good news for the lost, lonely, and heartsick. The sugars are here, speaking straight into your ears. I'm Steve Allman. I'm Cheryl Stray. This is Dear Sugars. Hi, Cheryl. So here we are in the second part of our series on how to say no, in which we were talking to Oprah Winfrey. If you're just tuning in now, I highly recommend you go back and listen to episode one. We had uh, we talked about a letter, and Oprah had a lot of interesting things to say about the struggle many of us have with saying no and what it means to say yes. Yeah. In fact, I was thinking about, the, I don't know, Cheryl, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but years ago, after I wrote this silly book about candy called Candy Freak, I was contacted by a film crew. They identified themselves as a documentary film crew, and they wanted to come to my house in Somerville, Massachusetts, and talk to me about my, like, obsession with candy. And, of course, the people, you know, at the publishing house were like, yes, oh, my God, this is such an opportunity. This is going to make this book a bestseller, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and, uh, and I myself was like, yes, well, I know a lot about candy, and it's almost totally useless information, but maybe it will be useful to the American public in the form of a, a television documentary about candy and my obsession with it. So what happens essentially is that I'd never dealt with a reality TV crew, but they basically are like an invading army because they're incredibly powerful. <laughs> powerful at getting people to say yes. In my case, they basically moved into my house for about three or four days, and they proceeded to ask me to do a lot of things that were not a natural part of my life. I thought I was going to be kind of like the, um, you know, the Shelby Foot, like the respected historian who would talk about candy and stuff. They wanted me basically <laughs> to be like a candy monkey. And so right. they had me doing stuff like going to a, 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 like a local grocery store and like futzing around in the candy aisle and, and just doing silly things. And it was that feeling, Cheryl, of like, I'm pretty sure I'm compromising myself, but I'm also insecure, so I'm kind of shameless. So I'm going to go along with it. And they're really enthusiastic and super convincing. And I know that I need to try to be on this show because that will bring publicity to this book. And they just kept going further and further and further. And I kept saying yes and kept saying yes, even though inside I was saying, I don't think I should be saying yes to this. I don't think this is really a documentary film crew. I think I'm in the ironic mode. I think they're laughing at me, but I just was trying to be such a good soldier. I think this is how it works. But what's interesting is you knew. You knew that you should have been saying no. And I talked about that last week a bit where, you know, it's like listening to the body. I think that there's something to it. You feel right when you're doing the thing you want to do, and you feel wrong when you know you should have said no. So I sort of compromised myself 99 times, and we finally get to a final moment where they're almost done, and this producer calls, takes me aside and says, look, there's something in TV called a reveal. Um, it's like something that we're going to tease at the beginning of the show, and it happens at the end of the show, and it's really important that we get this piece of tape. So all you need to do is we're just going to dump a whole bunch of candy on your bed, and we just want you to roll around in the candy. 
<laughs> and I oh. was like, what? Wait, <laughs> this. What kind of candy? Exactly. See, you know, I would do. I don't know if that were like dark chocolate. You know, coconut that's covered with dark chocolate. What are those like almond joys? I'd do that. You would do Did that. You do it. Yeah. I, well, almond and the almond joy. You're right. Yeah. No. I would no. no. I, what, what, no. I was still thinking I was Shelby Foot. I was like, wait a second. I started this process Shelby as Foot a re- would not do that. I know. Yeah. I started as a respectable historian who's going to like talk about how candy is really a an outgrowth of the American appetite and it's how marketing was born and da 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 da. My whole rap, which is that candy's deep, really, when you look deeply into it. But mm-hmm. she was like, no, kid, we want you to like roll around in skittles. And I finally put my foot down. I said, I'm sorry. I'll do lots of other things, but I cannot do that. I've already done lots of other things. And man, I'll tell you, this producer was furious. She went outside. She was on the phone with her, like, executive producer in L.A. (laughs) talking. And I saw her pacing angrily, smoking like a chimney. And she came back in the house and she was like, listen, we've invested. And it was really tough. At a certain point, even a shameless idiot like me has a moment where they have to check in with their soul and say, knock, knock, soul. I realize I don't check with you a lot, but um, I'm pretty sure you're in rebellion against this physical act that this reality TV crew is asking you to do. I really said, you know what? I'm sorry. I know that this is important to you, but I cannot do that. And Mm -hmm. it's not that I couldn't do it. I could have done it. I did not consent to do it. I knew that it was a, a ultimately foolish thing. And what it led to is they canceled the the episode. The whole thing blew up. And I'm so relieved because if mm-hmm. they hadn't done that, it would have been the proof would have been existed on YouTube forever. It wasn't even about candy anymore. It was just about how much people will, will really debase themselves. And that is part of the power of no. It is a way that you protect yourself from being stripped of your volition and to some extent your pride. Well, and it's connected. You know, this is an amusing story. You know, here you're saying, I won't roll in a bed of candy. And yet it's got deeper meaning in your life, you know. And I think that it's a powerful practice when we learn how to disappoint other people and and learn how to survive that moment. Now, of course, you know, the other part of this, and this is where we're going to begin again with our discussion with Oprah, is about yes. How and when and why do we get to yes? Let's listen. I actually had written on my desk an event that I had said yes to and why that felt so good. And I kept that on my desk for like five years to remind me of how a yes feels. Every part of you says yes. When you want to do something, every part of you, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to like, let me get back to you. Let me. So I first wanted to remind myself of what it feels like to have a full-on yes. Because when it's a full-on yes, first of all, most times people do not come back. Right. Because it's the, the, the energy isn't, oh, I just did this to make you feel okay. Because those people who are just looking for, okay, she did it because she was nice. This is what I could never figure out. I did it so you would think I was nice. And then two months later, you were back asking me again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could never understand why that happened. It's because... The reason why you did it is you wanted people to think you were nice, and they did, and that's why they kept asking the person who it's easy. It's mm-hmm. easy to ask you. Right. You are going to drive my kids, even if you are overwhelmed and you right. shouldn't, you're going to say yes because you are going to allow me to let you be my doormat. Right. And when you let me do that, I'm okay with it. You're the first person I'm going to call. You know, my family members, 
for many years treated me like a bank. Mm-hmm. And it was so painful to me. It was so hurtful to me. And when I would say no, there would be periods of time, just like the ghost of no story, periods of time where people wouldn't speak to me. They would be upset with me, you know, you know, cause you could do it. You should be able to do it. And I finally got to this question that everybody has to ask, particularly when it's family members or close friends involved. What do I want? Mm-hmm. What do I want? What do I want? So when you're in a position where you're the one in your family who has been the most successful and everybody listening has experienced this on some level, you're the most successful and everybody turns to you right. to answer their questions, to solve their problems, to be, you are the one, you become the matriarch or the patriarch by default. Yep. The question becomes, what do you want to do? I grew up with relationships where I was not close to family members and suddenly became this famous celebrity whose salary is published. And so all my family members were coming to me with just their request. I need a house. I need a car. My children need to go to school. So it took me a while. But the intention thing is what led me to the question of what do I want? Mm -hmm. Well, I want my parents to be taken care of. I want them to have lead a comfortable life. After making that decision, I literally called all of my close family members together and I called it a dinner of a lifetime. Said this is a dinner of a lifetime. And this is what I'm going to do for each of you so that you do not have to ask me again for anything. This is what I want to do. I love that. It's instead of being the, you're not being the recipient of a request, you are taking power, as you say, and giving out of your own desires. So what happened? It comes from my own intention. This is what I'm going to set up for you. I'm going to give you this much, and I'm going to give you this much, and I'm going to give you this much. So you never have to ask me for anything again, so that our relationships, we can start now, because I couldn't have relationships with people. Mm -hmm. I could not. I honestly could not attend a family gathering without people surrounding me, telling me all of their problems, what they needed. I need a check for this. If you could only give me 10,000. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it always made me feel so bad Mm -hmm. and so used and like, like the bank, like nobody, nobody was seeing me as a person. Everybody only saw me as this is my chance to get my car. Yeah. This is my chance to get my, you know. You didn't have a relationship. So, you had like a transaction. Uh, no, I did not have any relationships. From 86 to 98, I did not have relationships. And it was 1998, I sat down with all of them and said, this is what I'm going to do. And for some of them, it was buying houses and setting them up in their houses. But my parents, for my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, some were pleased with it and others were like, well, I thought I could get a little more than that. But, you know, <laughs> you know, it, but it's crazy. It is crazy. But what's interesting about that now is not not everyone who's listening can afford, you know, to do what you've done in, in, in actual financial terms. Listening. <laughs> but there's something there's a metaphor really in this, too, that I think a lot of us can relate no, it's to. What do you, when you it's decide what? what you can give and then what yeah. happens is it's a lot easier than when they come back and say, well, how about a little more? 
you get to say, no, as I told you, this was my decision. Right. So that yes was also a no. The yes is you get a bigger house, but it's also, and then you're not going to get a bigger one right. after that. Bank's closed. You got to have a relationship with me now. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. When I first moved to Chicago, the first thing I did was retire my mother, my father, and the cousin who helped raise me. That's the first thing I did because that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But as I continued to make money, there, was, there were members of my family who felt like it's not enough to be retired. It's not enough to live. I'm sorry, that's Sadie barking. It's not enough <laughs> to live retired. It's not enough to have everything taken care of. I should be living like you. Right. You know? <laughs> so I had to make a decision. <laughs> I had to make a decision. What do I want? So it's a metaphor and it's also a way of being for anybody who's in a situation where you feel like people are there constantly asking and wanting to take advantage of you. And, you know, it doesn't matter what they're asking for. Right. Right. What do you want? And that same mentality is what guides our compulsion and ghost of no to say yes, even though she can recognize, like she'll write a sentence like, I think maybe giving uh, my brother uh, funding his unpaid internship will help him gain independence. Where you're looking at that saying, don't you see that funding his unpaid internship is robbing him of the opportunity to gain independence? That this arrangement that we have is not just onerous to me, but degrading to you? Well, that's why, I mean, being able to stand in in the truth of that and to see that was, was really valuable to her. You know, yeah. uh, was even though it means that you end up with the brother not speaking to you or the, you know, distancing themselves, it's okay. Yeah, I lived through that with 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 my own family members. I mean, I've I had some. My sister has passed now, but some of my most confrontational moments were with my half sister, whose children I was taking care of, mm. putting through school and helping her sending her, uh, you know, stipend every month, but she wanted more. She felt like she should not have to work. Mm-hmm. I had a, <laughs> because and you, I would say, but, but I'm, and she would say to me, why should I have to work? And why you're working. Work? Meanwhile, Oprah, you are one of the hardest working people I know. I was working. <laughs> I go, because I'm working. That's what I, I do. I'm working. That's all I do is work. She goes, well, then no reason for me to have to work. You're working hard enough for both of us. So, you just, I could not win that argument. Oh my goodness. Because I'm working. Yeah. Because I'm working. So yeah. That's what I mean by toxic. You can't win there when a person wants to, literally, they're saying, I, I, I want to suck your blood. I want to. I go, well, we are never going to agree. Yeah. We are never going to agree because in principle, I believe in the work ethic for everybody who's able to do it. Mm-hmm. So I had family members be, after I put my you know, father and mother on, you know, regular stipend salary. Other family members were like, I want that deal. Mm-hmm. I want that deal too. And I was like, you don't get that deal. Mm-hmm. You don't get that deal. Here's right. the deal you get. Right. Yeah. This idea that family relations are unconditional, that's nonsense. They're totally conditional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there's th- that entitlement yeah. and expectation is sometimes built into that. And you have to, in a way, undo it. You know, a person has to earn the right to get your respect, earn the right to receive your generosity, earn the right for the grace that you're going to allow them with your yes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, you just don't get that just because 
because your title is cousin right. or friend. Right. Yeah. But I'm telling you, it is the it is the thing to conquer in my life. It is. It constantly shows up. It 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 const, it, it still shows up. Right. It still shows yeah. up for me. And what do you do now? I mean, it, how does it show up? And and wh- what do you do when you're confronted with it again and struggling? It just showed up um, yesterday with someone asking me to come and speak. And I really didn't want to go and speak. So I asked the question, why am I doing it? I'm doing it not because I want to go and speak. I'm doing it because of my relationship with that person. Mm-hmm. So you know what I did? I called up the person and I said, well, you've asked me to do this. It's going to be really inconvenient for me and challenging. So tell me on a scale of one to 10, how important this is for you, because I will make the sacrifice for you this time mm-hmm. in spite of the challenges. If you tell me that it's really important to you, mm-hmm. if it's not that important, then I can arrange another time or I can right. be available at, 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 at another occasion or I could do this, this and this for you. So I, I gave them options and I wanted to make it clear that me making this sac- and I said, I don't care anything about the organization. I really don't. Or what you're actually even trying to do. I am doing it for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's what I want to do. So you understand that that's why I'm doing it. That's my intention only. Is, is this going to make you happy mm-hmm. that I'm doing this, that you get to say you got me to show up? And um, he said yes. And I said, okay, then I'll do it. I'll do it with that understanding. But, but, but any, another time I would have just said yes and then been mad and resentful once I got there. Like, I can't believe I did this and now I put myself in. So now I just say, okay, this is why I'm doing it. Oprah, thank you for saying yes to me. Why did you say yes to be on the show when I asked? Well, for, I said yes because I, I love the subject of how to say no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It continues to be um, the lesson that shows up for me over and over again, how to set boundaries for myself. And I said yes because it's you, Cheryl. I said I would say yes to almost anything you ask me to do. I have such regard for you. Thank you. Yeah, if I can be of help, of service, of joy, of any, any anything, I would do it. I would do it for you, and also just to be a part of this conversation because I know how this thing becomes its own albatross for people. It strangles you and prevents you from stepping into the beauty that is waiting to unfold in your own life. Just the, the, the breath. I mean, like as, as the ghost of Noah was, was sharing, um, how she actually feels freer, even though lots of people aren't talking to her. Right. Yeah. It is the threshold to freedom to be able to step away from being defined and stifled by other people's um, definition of who you should be. Mm-hmm. and being able to, to, to own that for yourself. So it's a great conversation. I don't know how y'all came up with it. It was great. Yes. Well, you, Oprah, are, as you know, I, I, I love you and I hold you in such high regard. And thank you so much for saying yes and sharing your heart and your wisdom and your spirit and your humor and your life with us. Mm-hmm. You know, not just here, but all the time. Oh, thank you. Bye, Steve. Bye, Oprah. Bye, Oprah. All right. See all right. you soon. Take care, my dear. All right. Bye-bye. All right.
Support for Dear Sugars comes from BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in the day, how would you use it? BetterHelp Online Therapy can help you figure out what's most important to you so you can prioritize it. Learn to make time for what makes you happy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com sugars today to get 10% off your first month. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future, five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair. A new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. Oh, I'm I'm I got tears in my eyes there. I've really come to love Oprah so much. And I, I want to say that, um, you know, she's a really meaningful person in my life. And for a number of reasons. I mean, first of all, I, I do really genuinely admire her. And I and I felt uh, such affection and regard for her before mm-hmm. I knew her personally. Right. But I, I came to know her five years ago when she called me up and said, I read your book Wild, and I really love it, and I want to restart my book club for you, and will you come to my house? And right. and a few days later, I was at her house, and we— Oh, so you just said yes like that? You didn't I even said, consider saying no? I said yes. Did you think through your intention? <laughs> I said yes. And, you know, I have to say, really, on this subject is, you know, I pretty immediately knew when when Oprah and I met, and, and she felt this way, too, that we actually— you know, had that kind of chemistry where mm-hmm. it wasn't just that we were, you know, shooting a, an episode of her her Super Soul Sunday and having a conversation about Wild, but also uh, beginning a friendship. Mm-hmm. And I knew in the, immediately that that part of that friendship was going to be that it wasn't going to be about what Oprah could do for me, right? But that actually our friendship was not me saying, "Hey, could I give you my friend's book?" Or you know that, that, that those kind of transactional yep. um, experiences. You know, obviously we all help our friends out. We do favors right. for our friends. As she said, you know, she said yes because I asked her to be on the show. You know, right. and there's that personal relationship. I think that's a really valid reason to say yes because yeah. you care about somebody. Yeah. But if that's the the thing that's always happening in your friendship or happening even on a regular basis, mm-hmm. what what starts to it start does start to feel like you're being used. It's the difference between the feeling 
is somebody asking what you can do for me? Or is somebody asking, uh, who are you to me? Is it a friendship? And even in our relationship, Cheryl, I've asked you to do a couple things, including this show, and at various moments checked in with you when I could tell that you were overwhelmed and basically said, you know, you don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. I love doing it. I love being in conversation with you. That's the perk for us. But we would be friends anyway. And I think what you say about our friendship is certainly it's a great it's a great way to think about this is I would have been disappointed if Oprah had said, oh, I can't be on the show. Right. But it wouldn't have impacted at all our relationship. I would still like her all the same. Right. Just like if I said no to you about any number of things, right. you would still be my friend yep. and and I yours. And I think that that's, you know, what we're seeing here in Ghost of No and, and maybe to, you know, a, a lesser and sort of unspoken extent in The Doors Open is this sense that that relationships are actually contingent on you saying yes. yes. And if that's, if, if that's the basis of a relationship, if somebody's going to actually... Uh, leave you or not speak to you or distance themselves from you because you're not doing what they want you to do. Mm-hmm. That's no relationship at all. It's yep. not really a loss. And yes, as Oprah pointed out, you, you lost for a time. Some people have had to push themselves away from you because you're saying no has really laid bare this power dynamic and the exploitative nature of it. But the beautiful thing is those people are coming back into your life and you're still allowed to say, and you should say to your mom, I love you. I want to be back in your life. I want to support you. And if she can bring herself to it and that you don't control, she will come back into your life and it will be the real you, not the you that's acting out of obligation. All right. We wish you both the best of luck. Sugars is produced by the New York Times in partnership with WBUR. Our producer is Michelle Siegel. Our executive producer is Lisa Tobin. And our editorial director is Samantha Hennig. We record the show at Talkback Sound and Visual in Portland, Oregon. Our engineer is Josh Millman. Our theme song is by Liz Weiss. And other music is by the Portland band called Wonderly. Find us at nytimes.com slash dearsugars. And please, we beg of you, send us your letters at dearsugars at nytimes.com. That's sugars, plural, at nytimes.com. Oprah, I have to ask you one question, and I promise you it's the first and last question that you'll ever have to receive from me. Will you please run for president of the United States in 2020. And wait, and wait, and will you please choose Cheryl Strait as your running mate? So just sit with it, decide what your intention is, and I promise you, Dear Sugar Nation (laughs) is waiting for your answer, yes or no. What do you think, Oprah? What do you think? You know, we're going to see each other on Saturday. We can can chat about it. (laughs) Don't answer now, because I can't take the heartbreak if it's a no, but I I need some time to process. Okay, I won't answer now, Steve. I won't.